Hey everyone, welcome back and I've got a really beautiful uplifting podcast for you today from a guy called Michael S. Siever. He's an author and a coach from North Carolina in America and he's got a great story of love and loss and highs and lows and he's come out the other side with a fantastic outlook on life, one that I think we can all learn from. And so if you want to feel good today, if you're maybe feeling a little down on yourself or your coaching business or where you're at in life, have a listen to this podcast today. I think you'll really appreciate it. I certainly had a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy it. So here is Michael Seaver on Coaches to the Moon. This is Coaches to the Moon, the only podcast you need to skyrocket your coaching business and create true impact on the world. Here's your host, Alex Morris. Welcome back to the Coaches to the Moon podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This line of a man in front of me is Michael S. Siva. He is a uh, executive coach, he's a podcast host, he's a speaker, he's an author of a brand new book, well not that new anymore, but called I Know, which is sitting behind you there and on your desk, thanks for the plug. And I'm really excited to talk to you today, Michael, you've got a really unique perspective on a lot of stuff, man, so thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, thank you. I was listening to your book this morning on my walk. Right on. Yeah, it's really congratulations. It's a great book. I um, yeah. I'm an audio audio book guy. You know, I, on my on my daily walks. So, uh, you narrated it yourself. You've read yeah, it very yeah. well. And um, yeah, thank you. How did you like the process of uh, recording your own book? It was the first time I had ever done anything like that. And so, for twelve and a half hours, I stood in what was effectively a phone booth and read through every single chapter. And it was a really fun and unique experience for me because I've never done it. And it was a, it was kind of like a test of endurance. Yeah. Like how well, how well can you stay in character as you're trying to read tonalities and trying to read emotion inside mm. of some pieces of my story, which are pretty heavy. And so it was, a, it was a really fun experience and maybe I'll do more of it in the future. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I'm only kind of in the first, you know, couple chapters of your book and there is some emotion in there. There's like a, uh, you know, a pretty low point in your life. You're on the floor kind of heavy depression and, kind of contemplating ending it really. And that sucks. And then your cat Cleopatra comes and lies on your chest. And you said your cat was not a, an emotional, you know, available cat. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's so funny, man, because I'm, we had cats my whole life growing up and my cat Mango was, I don't know, 20 years old. And um, in layman's terms, fucked. She was, you know, everything was falling apart and she, mm. you know, she was definitely, you know, on her way out. And we had a, um, an appointment schedule to, to put her to sleep. And this cat who hated everyone the night before uh, jumped on the couch and sat on my lap. And they know there's something the animals always know, right? There's definitely an inner knowing or an intuition that they have that humans don't understand. And I certainly, even to this day, years later, do not understand exactly what it was that I was thinking, feeling. And I know in a human sense, what I was thinking and feeling but what it was that she was able to pick up on, come over to my chest, lie on me and purr, right? With a resonance that said, okay, maybe I should stay. Maybe my calling is bigger than I can currently see right now, but animals just have these intuitive gifts that we don't yet. Well, thank goodness she did that, man, because we're very blessed to have you here today. And it's a great book and uh, you look very healthy and happy. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. So dude, um, in your book, you uh, you spoke a lot about um, initially 
you worked for your grandfather and your father's landscaping business and your grandfather was very successful in it. And then your father um, carried it on and they kind of expected you to continue on with this work. I was in a similar position, you know, my, my pretty successful dad with the business and everything. Now coaching uh, that I got into and you got into as an industry, a lot of people still don't really understand, uh, especially people with a more traditional career mindset. Now, um, a lot of people will get pushback as well from their families when they say I'm going to be a coach, especially if they expect you to work in the family business. So uh, do you have any advice for people who are wanting to follow that coaching path and they maybe feel some pressure from their parents and people around them to follow in their footsteps? Yeah, I think, and it's a great question, Alex. I think one of the things we have to take a step back and remember is that our parents were acculturated uh, to believe specific things at a very different time in human history, right? So you think back to my parents and my grandparents, probably the same for you, is that the internet wasn't yet developed, you know, geographically, they lived in very limited environments and had very, very small kind of jobs instead of one a community, if you will. The economy was much smaller than it is today. Uh, there was less focus in on spiritual growth and expansion back then. Um, and I think back then there was a big focus on what's called idolatry, right? Which is this idea of we idolize particular people, celebrities, politicians, athletes, all this and that. And knowing that that was kind of the environment in which they were raised, it helps us to respect and honor and thank our parents for the ways that they raised us doing the best that they possibly could at that particular point in time. Hmm. But it's also important to begin having conversations with your family or with your parents about how radically the world has changed, evolved and expanded just so they can understand, right? That there's things are a lot different from their younger years to our younger years. And also it's important, I think, to have the discussion with them to say, I'm still trying to create financial security for myself the same way that you did when you were in your 20s and 30s too, right? So draw those parallels between yourself and them. And then I think one of the one of the really important things that you can say or do is help them understand that this is a logical growth and progression of society or of the human race, right? So what it is that we're trying to do as coaches is like the, the next step in the evolution of what previous generations built. Right. And I really mean that. I really think that's important. So oftentimes, like we're told by a family to go get a traditional university degree, but you can go get a formal coaching education from an ICF accredited school that has probably as much weight as a university degree. Right. And I think that's mm. important. Or if you think about getting a human resources or an accounting or a finance certification, well, you can get a certification in personality assessments, right? I'm certified to use the DISC and some other emotional intelligence and motivations assessments. And they have a lot of weight, especially in our marketplace. Or, you know, if you're, if you're accustomed to going and getting an internship, well, why not get some sort of an apprenticeship or a part-time job with a coaching or a consulting firm that gives you revenue, gives you personal money, but is still helping you grow and develop. So I think there's something to be said for helping people, especially with our parents, honor the differences between the environment they were raised in and the one we were raised in, thanking them and letting them know, right, that we're trying to create the same level of financial security for ourselves that they did for them, and that we're just carrying on this expanse that exists within the human race. So I think there's a couple of ways that we can approach it to help them feel safe and to stand in our truths too. Making them feel safe is a really important part of it, right? It's um, they're never doing doing this out of spite or out of ego it is literally out of wanting the best for you now as a new dad myself i you know i i, I like to think of how i will react when my daughters give me uh 
big life decisions, but uh, you know, you never know until it's in front of you, right? So um, that, that's that's great. Yeah, the, the generational gap's massive. I, I um I still can't get my dad to buy any Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> still still doesn't get it. But when I when I was first in coaching, uh, I used to own. I know you came through hospitality as well, and I used to own a cafe, and I worked in hospitality for about twelve years, and my dad when i was in my first like maybe three years of coaching he was literally offering me uh money to buy me a food truck he's like food truck brick and mortar uh customers come in you get the money and then they go out he could he could see that picture because he had a travel agency back in the day before uh-huh. the internet customers come in they give you money and they leave again and so uh it made a lot of sense and the coaching model the internet you know I, it didn't make heaps of sense to me at the time but I think uh, these days it's becoming more and more common. I think soon it'll be like having a personal trainer, right? Having oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just like coaching as an industry is kind of at its, its infancy in terms of stages. Like eventually over many decades of time, human resources professionals develop the, the HRCI or the SHRM certifications or in accounting, it took them a while, but they became certified to be a CPA or mm. and there are other, you know, in finance, there's many, but you know, you can become a certified financial professional. And so in the coming decades, coaching will carry the same weight that those professions do in those other industries. But it's hard when our parents use their own old mental models to project an image of what they think we should do based on their own experiences and yeah. success. Right. And that's quite normal. Like my, my grandfather and father certainly expected that of me, but my level of success has transcended anything that they have ever done because I have been able to impact a lot of lives in a very different way. That wasn't cutting grass, shoveling dirt or plowing snow. Yeah. Right. And so a very, very different context, but just understanding that parents have a desire to create safety and security for the children, but the lens by which they normally do it is by saying, here are the lessons I've learned. You should take those exact same things forward, but that's not how society works, right? The child is actually the parent's teacher and the parent should be really looking at the child as I should be expanding and learning from this person's knowledge and experiences too but we're as a society slowly catching up to that belief pattern or structure. Wow. What a interesting flip. The child is the parent's teacher. I think that happens a lot without us really realizing it. I'm going to, I can pitch myself, stop you thinking <laughs> about a lot of your answers in this podcast. So anyone listening, if there's a few moments of silence after Michael answers a question, that's me processing. <laughs> because, uh, we, we think very differently, you and I. Um, you, you've got a lot, when I was listening to your book, you're so deep on emotional intelligence and the Zodiac and, and all this really cool stuff. I just, it's not in my radar. And I'm, so I'm really looking forward to learning more about it. But one thing that we can agree on is um, we both worked in hospitality for a, long, for a little bit. Uh, so firstly, what did you do in hospitality? When you yeah, moved so to Arizona. When I, yeah, I first got to Arizona within a couple of weeks. I was working as a front desk agent at the Four Seasons Resort in North Scottsdale. So checking okay. people in, checking them out. Yep. Hotels, people, uh, meeting all, all sorts of people all day, every day. Shift yeah. work. Yeah, fantastic. So um, what was the best thing about hospitality for you? I think there were a couple of things that were really meaningful for me as I reflect back on that time, because I did it for about four and a half or five years. And the first thing I think was, I was raised in such a small town in Michigan. It was 2,500 people that were predominantly like me. 
I mean, when I went to the Four Seasons, there was 12 or 13 different countries represented in the employee base. And then there were people from all over the world that would come. Yeah. And that, that was really important for me to see and meet and have really, really deep and meaningful relationships. And those conversations and those relationships completely expanded the way I viewed the world. And that helped me, right? The lesson that I learned from that was that my way is not the only way and it's not the right way. And on earth, there's 8 billion people. So there's 8 billion different interpretations of what right or wrong is or are. So I realized, especially as a coach today, that I can't tell someone what to do. I can only ask them questions that trigger some sort of underlying why or motivation for them to then be inspired to take action, right? So the first thing, definitely relationships. Number two, and this is really inherent to the Four Seasons and maybe the Ritz-Carlton, is that they really, as an employee, they really teach you to anticipate someone else's needs. And so that really taught me at a young age, how can I pay attention to the words that they choose, the tone of their voice, the body language? And that helped me to really understand what they wanted because what they were saying wasn't really what they wanted, right? But if you pick up all these different things together, you could really figure out what they want. And so now as a coach, I spend a lot of time listening to what's not being said, right? Mm -hmm. So picking up on nonverbal cues, picking up tone of voice, understanding contextual things around them, that's really important. And a third and last thing that I reference, Alex, is that the Four Seasons taught us a very scripted, a very kind, a very supportive language for how we would interact with the guests. Mm. And I remember one time I asked a, a guest um, who was coming to the pool. I was just doing some work by the pool. And I, I said something to the effect of, oh, well, are you going to be alone? And that was a big no-no. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said, will anyone be joining you? Right. And Right. And, and I didn't know or was learning. And so what, what I really wanted to understand or what I was learning back then was that I don't know 99.9% of what's happening in this person's life. Mm. So if I can find a way then and now to use very different and uplifting and supportive language, I can always remember or understand that that person is doing the absolute best that they can considering their life circumstances. And so I was very young. I was very naive. It was a very, very expansive time in my life back when I was working in hospitality, but I'm so thankful for the relationships, the ability to anticipate someone's needs, or even just like really understanding the value of kind and supportive language. Wow. Yeah, it's it definitely, I 100% agree with my hospitality experience. I spent a lot of time in the kitchen, which uh, gives me work ethic, ability to work under pressure and you know, to be in a close knit team and to know that kind of what happens during service stays during service, you know, like things said during the heat of the moment don't always mean, don't always mean they they think that way about you. But when I went into front of house and I ran my cafe and I was a waiter and a sommelier, that sort of thing, definitely, excuse me, relationships and the ability to just talk to a wide range of people to be a waiter and to leave a table and have everyone kind of chuckle, you know, to be able to close off a conversation. Well, it's a massive, massive skill. I, I've said to my wife from day one, I've got to get our kids working in some sort of cafe restaurant environment, even if it's front desk at McDonald's, I think uh, it's a fantastic idea to yeah. have anyone do a bit of hospitality time and learn how to talk to people. It's clearly uh, helped you in your career massively. Oh, big time. I'm so thankful. And, you know, my mom still to this day from the, even before I was born, my mom worked as a waitress or a server in the small town in which I was raised. And still to this day in her mid sixties, she still does it because she loves the interaction with people. 
And so I definitely yeah. learned a ton from my mom about <clears throat> being, being in the service of others, but also the relationships and the connectivity to your community when you do it. So kudos to you, man, for thinking about getting your kids involved in that too, because generationally for me, it's been a, a pretty big part of my life. Yeah. I love people too. My dad just, um, my dad retired maybe 20 years ago and he, uh, recently started driving Uber to hang out with more people, just to have conversations with more people. That's awesome. day. And uh, you'll sit at home, you'll be watching the cricket. That's what we do in Australia. <laughs> and uh, he'll have his phone there. And if it pings and he's got a trip, he's like, I'm out. And uh, sometimes he'll be out for 20 minutes. Sometimes he'll be gone for the whole day and have all these interesting stories. I had a rabbit in my car today. Just loves people like your mom, you know? So yeah. good for her, man. Good for her. Yeah, that's cool. Tough, tough gig, a lot of work on your feet. So we seem to be going across a little pro uh, progression here. We started off with the family business. Uh, we've gone through to your years in hospitality. And then you started coaching. You had some success, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching. But then moving forwards, you got to a point where a lot of us coaches get to, which is you want to leverage your time out a little more. You realize that coaching really isn't scalable to a million-dollar business realistically uh, if you're just doing one-to-one -one coaching on the phone sessions, that sort of thing. But when you went to group coaching and online, it didn't work out the way you thought. You had a pretty, <laughs> pretty big financial downslide, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. It didn't quite pull it off the way you wanted to initially. So I'm just literally looking for any practical advice you can give people looking to leverage uh, into a group coaching model so that they don't potentially make the same mistakes you did. Yeah, it's, I, I'm really glad that those experiences occurred for me because now the counsel that I can pay forward to other coaches and people around the world is, mm. is so much more deep and profound. And there are coaches, I know one in Phoenix, Arizona, who does charge $1 million per person. Uh, so if you, if you do want to make millions of dollars, you can, as a coach, make millions of dollars. You just have sure. to be in the right circles to allow for that to occur. But I'd realized that that really wasn't my path. And there were, there were some things that I wasn't truly clear on, on kind of comparing the in-person uh, executive that I was serving versus the online person that I was trying to get to. So one of the lessons that I learned through the process of trying to shift from, you know, in-person one-to-one or in-person group into something that was online is that I was far too broad in selecting the avatar of the ideal client, right? I initially thought to myself, okay, it's anybody who's disengaged or unhappy in some area of their life. And that was far too broad, although true in some context. So what I had to get to this point of understanding was that my ideal client is actually an introvert who's an executive who enjoys a more spiritual component to his or her life. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to that level of depth, the understanding was for me that the, the online course wasn't going to be as interesting to them, right? The in-depth conversation, sitting in a circle, you know, being in a team meeting, yeah. that was going to be the vehicle by which they were going to learn the most. And that was important. And I think when I looked at my ideal client, I was also number two wrong in thinking about that these executives would desire and or would make time for the actual completion of the online course. And as I've come to experience in those, you know, kind of the year and some change since, like they certainly have not. So I had to be very mindful of is that when you get to that avatar of that ideal client, do they prefer to learn one-to-one? -one? Do they prefer to learn small group? Do they prefer to learn online? Is it a, is a book? Is it a podcast? And I didn't do the appropriate research to get clear on what that was going to be, right? So the research there is absolutely critical. And a third thing is that 
I, in that moment of trying to make that transition, I subjugated my personal strengths uh, to the choice of trying to make money, right? I forgot my strengths, which are listening, you know, being able to connect the dots for people in a way that they can't for themselves or being able to engage in the moment in a very authentic, deep way that's meaningful to people in the human experience. And because I wasn't doing those things via the online course, it was very easy for people to not buy it, right? So the things that I was known for in the marketplace, you can't parlay into an online course. And so that's for me is to understand that the online courses for me aren't necessarily going to sell, but that doesn't mean that they won't for another coach. I have to be mindful and I have to offer the suggestion is that if you're going to sell an online course, great, but don't forget about selling packaged experiences, right? The online course is part of something else, right? So that they have online material plus some sort of group engagement, plus some sort of personal time with you, whatever that might be. I just think that society is shifting to a place where we want experiences more than we want straight knowledge. Yeah. So if I can help anybody get hyper-focused on the ideal client, understand that client's learning preferences, and then really think about why is it that that client's choosing you? Because maybe the delivery model changes from that point. Super interesting, man. Super interesting. As a marketer, work with all sorts of different coaches who all have a goal and a lot of them want to sell online courses. That is uh, super duper interesting stuff, especially um, really knowing your audience because the the mistake a lot of people make in marketing is is they they go way to um, I suppose blue ocean and red ocean. Do you know these terms? Blue ocean, yep. red ocean. For sure. So for, for context for everyone else, red ocean is uh, when I always use this analogy of clients being fish, right? But, uh, <laughs> but they're not fish. And I always explain, I'm just meaning it in a lovely metaphorical sense. Um, the red ocean being, you've got a lot of fish clients swimming around and a lot of sharks, you know, businesses trying to feed off the same pool of fish. So red ocean, relatively graphic uh, metaphor there. Blue ocean is when you manage to niche yourself down, go down that extra step into an audience like you did, introverted executive who likes a spiritual side to their learning. That places you into another pool where there's very, very few people swimming around. And so that is really, really smart. A lot of people are not doing that. They're saying, I'm an executive coach. What's different about you? What do you do? I help executives make more money or make more sales. And that's a very, very, very broad. So when people can be so self-aware, like you just have to, to niche down that little extra step, not too far to the point where they're an executive coach for spiritual people who play the piano on Tuesdays. <laughs> that's a little, you know, maybe you get a couple of sales out of that, but um, that's a really, really cool, man. I, I want all my clients listening to, to know what Michael just said is massive. <laughs> massive yeah, yeah do you um you. on a you know on that note do you um do a lot of internet marketing how, how are you primarily marketing your your book and your services at the moment yeah so before the book when i was working on it i hired a public relations agency based in arizona to help just do a lot with traditional media uh, to get things out there. I was doing webinars. I was doing a lot of placements in traditional media magazines, publications, you know, interviews via podcast. I mean, there were lots of traditional vehicles that we were using. I was doing daily social posts a lot with video, you know, material. Uh, and then after the book was launched, we were doing, you know, more traditional, like, Hey, let's do book signing. 
uh, and let's continue this. Let's share, rec you know, referrals, recommendations, testimonials. And so we tried it like an omni-channel or multi-channel approach to get that all done. Mm. And, and I think it worked really, really well, you know, according to uh, Ingram Spark, you know, the average book uh, in the world sells 1000 copies in its useful life. And, and that's a really important statistic to know if you're ever going to think about publishing a book because you want to know or have reasonable expectations. And so I really look at the book. I don't expect to make a lot of money on the sale of the book. I expect it to increase my value in the marketplace to cover the costs of everything associated with the marketing and with branding, right? That's sure. really important. So I'm very thankful to have tried all those things and done all those things and to be at this place now where the vast majority of people that come to me it can come from some of those more traditional omni-channel, but because I'm attempting to deliver a very high level of service, I'm getting a lot of word of mouth referrals now. And I just think there's power in that, right? So yeah. as you're working through all these different channels that you're going to share your message, do not forget the value of word of mouth referral, right? We're in kind of the trust-based society now. Yeah. And so make, make that process of word of mouth referral as seamless, as simple as possible because those are the people who are not going to be interviewing other coaches. If they get that word of mouth referral, they're just going to hire you basically on the spot. Easy sell there is, right? A word of mouth referral. Love yeah. them. But you got to do, you got to deliver. You got to deliver to the first people True. to start them happening. So that, that really separates the, uh, the wheat from the chaff to, to speak, you know, uh, who ends up getting referrals. And I'm very blessed. We don't actually have to advertise here at, to the moon digital because we get 90% of our clients from referrals, which is great. Yeah, really happy. So um, oh, on the book, man, because I'm, I'm reading the book. I'm loving the book. Um, well, I'm listening to the book. And so it's about helping people find their true purpose. Yeah. And that's a massive, massive topic. And so I've been on a bit of a deep dive and I've got to, I've got to backtrack to make this question make sense a little bit this year. So I, I came from a real personal development background when I left hospitality and I lost some weight and I got healthy. I just went deep on seminars, courses, yoga, meditation, trying veganism or vegetarianism or quitting alcohol, quitting coffee, hitting the beach every morning, push-ups, chants, rituals, all sorts of stuff like that reading books, journaling. <laughs> I've done it all. And I was pretty broke the entire time financially, which at the time also didn't help my mental state because I, I put a lot of weight on it. When I got into digital marketing, what I do now, it kind of happened by accident that it became a job and I'm in the best place I've ever been. You know, it's, it's not like I wake up in the morning excited about numbers and I, I, I do enjoy the job but I don't think that digital marketing is what I was put on this earth to do I don't think it's my calling I really really love it but I don't think it's my purpose that doesn't bother me and so I want to ask kind of a two-part question one being do you believe people can have a long happy successful life and never truly find their purpose and two, do you think that maybe some people put too much weight on finding their purpose and that actually stops them from ever getting out there and taking action? 
Okay, let me see if I can look at this through the lens of, I think the discovery of purpose is not really a deeply meaningful thing to the silent generation, the baby boomer generation, or even, even like early Gen X. Uh, and so I really mean that. And it's just because they were all kind of raised at a time in human history where they were really trying to take care of really basic needs about their life. Like on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they were a little bit lower. And it wasn't until the later group of millennials or Gen Z that the idea of self-esteem and recognition and trying to find self-actualization or the contribution to others for their self-actualization, that that really became a big thing. So I think it's a little bit generational in that mean, and I really mean that. So discovery of purpose, I think is generational because for three or four of the generations that exist on earth today, they have never really thought about it to the same level or depth that later Gen Y or early Gen Z has. So I think it's a little bit contextual based on generation, but then there's also the extra layer of how do you define success? Because every generation does success differently. Every person does it differently. So we have been taught via the mainstream media, via all these things that financial success is what we should all be striving for. But through the Harvard study of adult development, they discovered over an 80 year plus study, they realized that power, money, fame, and traditional financial success wasn't the thing that led to a long, happy, and healthy life, right? So I believe that success is you have 100% control over where you invest your time. Like that's, that's what I believe it is. Now, every, everybody can have a different perspective on that, but that's just what I believe. So is it possible that if you do not have a purpose that you can find financial success? Yes, that is absolutely possible. Will you be on a hamster wheel constantly thinking the grass is greener on the other side? Yes, because you'll constantly be delaying happiness, thinking that it's going to come after some sort of accomplishment. And that is not a meaningful life in any context. But if you have your life's purpose and you're very clear on it, you can then denote or come back to for yourself, you can unequivocally know what success means to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's very clear that if you have your purpose, you will then be able to define and it's going to iterate and change over time. And that's key is that as society evolves, as earth evolves, what success means to a person with purpose who has a why it's going to evolve and change. And I think that's really important. So if somebody has a purpose, they're going to be much more able to find inner peace, clarity, confidence, you know, be patient, be able to trust their intuition. But what they can do better than previous generations is that they have the capacity to surrender the how and remain focused on the why. Mm. Okay. That's critical, right? So how you make money, how you find success, how you find peace, all of those things are going to change as time passes and progresses. So yeah. Alex, the way that you find that now, especially after having young kids is different. Okay. It's very, sure. very different, right? So it's just being aware of those things that, the thing that we think about it that almost always holds us back is people put a lot of pressure on themselves because there's an underlying fear that by displaying themselves somehow vulnerably and going for what it is that they really want, they're going to be judged. They're going to be shamed. They're going to be playing small. They're not going to be making their parents happy. Fill in the blank. All those things exist there. But I don't really think that purpose for a human being displays itself to someone until they're about 28, 29, 30 years of age. Right. So I think that that is when we start to really understand the, the purpose or the mission of our life. And then after that, you can, you can spend decades of time getting to those deeper levels of meaning. So I, I think that's kind of a, a big answer, but it is important to understand is that with your own defined purpose, 
what you define as success is going to iterate and evolve as time passes and progresses, right? And But it can also be scary to go after that purpose because there are so many things, there are so many factors from society, from our family, the way that we're raised that stop us from doing things that are in alignment with it, right? Because our parents say we should behave a certain way. Society says we should behave in a certain way. But the absolute truth at the end of the day is, is that you just have to shut off all the noise and you have to stay hyper-focused on what your purpose, your mission, your why is, mm. because that's a long, happy and healthy and meaningful life. I mean, really, that's what it is. So it's hard to turn off the noise, but it's the absolute best thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, that's a really, really cool answer. There's a couple of things to unpack from it. One, someone's purpose in life it doesn't always have to be end world hunger, does it? Or, you know, and, and racism or whatever. It doesn't have to be a huge world-changing purpose. What, what are some of the more common purposes that your clients are finding and, and stuff that you see in your job as a coach? I think there, there are many ways that someone can find their purpose. And, and so my process is one of them, right? There's, there's something called the International Human Design School where you can plug in some information about your birth and you're going to know what your human design is, what you came to earth to learn. Or there's an author named Dan Millman who wrote a book called Peaceful Warrior. And he has something called the Life Purpose Calculator. So you plug in your birthday and your purpose comes out. Or if you've ever used the pattern app, there are many sections inside the pattern app that can tell you your destiny and some of the things that you're supposed to learn. And I have a process that kind of pulls five pieces of data about a person and says, okay, here's what it is that I think is, is important to you to understand yourself, to define your purpose. And so when I look back at all the clients that I've served, there's not necessarily a theme if you will, you know, sometimes it's somebody wants to be a great teacher. Somebody wants to be a great parent. Somebody wants to, you know, find a way to uplift the underserved. And, and I think the thing that's really important to understand is that there's no one purpose that's true for a lot of people. All of the 8 billion people on the planet have a unique and defined purpose. And so I try to help them write a one sentence statement. That's very clear about what it is. Mm. You know, year, years ago, I had a a client who was a you know chief marketing officer basically and I'm sorry and he was in this environment that he loved to go camping and so what he decided to do was to say that his life's purpose was about bringing adventure into the people around him because when he was camping he was constantly doing adventures right so he wanted to take those adventures from being out of nature and bring them into the workplace okay so that's the thing is like it's always these little things that are unique right when I was a kid, I was very emotionally suppressed. I was very much a robot inside my family's business. And so it's not a secret now that I help people with authenticity, right? Mm. Because I was not allowed to be authentic. So it's important to understand is that the challenges that you had from birth until about age 28, there's a pattern that exists inside those challenges. And around age 28, 29, 30, you overcome the challenge somehow. So the highest and best use or your purpose, let's say after age 30 until about age 50, because there's another event that'll happen then that is basically where you can find the most meaning and the most purpose in your life. If you help other people overcome the exact same challenge that you overcame yourself, right? That's purpose, right? Helping other people overcome challenges in that way. So grow and develop yourself, help others grow and develop in a way that's meaningful for them. It's going to be a deeply meaningful life. 
That's why a lot of coaches get into coaching, right? Because they have a transformation, um, whether it's a weight loss transformation. That's what got me into the nutritional coaching in the first place. For yourself, you've obviously had an enormous you know, transformation into this beautiful, happy guy you are now. And that's what you're helping people with. And so, but what you said about only really managing to nail this stuff between, you know, after the age of 28, 29, 30, um, a lot, so many coaches out there are 26 and, you know, expecting huge success and impact pretty quickly. Um, you're not, you're not 26 anymore. You're not, an, you're not an old man, but do you have anything to say to the, uh, the coaches in their twenties out there who just want it all to happen now? It's a very <laughs> unlikely goal. And, and I don't mean that in a very uh, bad or contradictory or suppressive way. Uh, from birth until about age 28, <clears throat> earth is designed to just be a place where we learn. We just have experiences. That's really what it is that that time frame is supposed to be doing. And so if you expect that you're going to have some enormous level of success, you have to also remember that 99.9% .9 of the various things that are happening in your life, you have no control over, right? There's a, a lot of stuff shifting and changing on earth right now and that you can't predict, you can't control that. So a better way to look at it is to say, okay, I have these pockets, I have these phases of life where I'm supposed to be learning specific things. And the, the success isn't so much the accomplishment of having 1 million followers. The success is the growth and development that you've accrued over time that you can then pay forward. So instead of looking at the end result as being the success, look at the intentional growth and development and progress that you made by going through the learning, by going through having different experiences that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And so it's easy when you look at social media to see all these people who are very you know, influential and have lots and lots of followers, but it's a very uh, artificial synthetic life, right? There, there's not a reality to it. And so I'm glad that we're moving to a time in human history where we're getting people to trust their intuition and authentically share their story. And oftentimes we don't even know if we're having an impact on people. Now, I don't know who has read my book but I have received emails and I have received messages via social media that my book has literally saved people's lives. And I could have never known that. And that is not reflected financially, right? You can buy the book for $7 online. And so we, the way we make impact nowadays is so radically different that we can't say success is a number of followers. It's X number of dollars of revenue. Success is the impact that you have on others around you. For an audience of coaches, Michael, I couldn't think of a better place to leave it, man. That is a huge, huge message and one that uh, I'm trying to learn as I get older. <laughs> as I, as I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 now. I'm half dead. That's it for me. And uh, I, I think impact and those messages, I'm really, really glad you get those messages, man, because you deserve it. You've been through the ringer and uh, it's great that you are helping other people to literally save their own lives. So that's fantastic, man. Well done. Congratulations, Michael. You're, a, uh, you're doing great stuff, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. It's, it's been a gnarly journey, man. Like really. Um, but I know that I came to earth to, to go through some of those hard things, to be able to pass on the lessons, learn to give other people just a little bit of hope that there's a very bright future ahead. Well, you put a smile on my face, man. I'm going to go into the rest of the day feeling fantastic. And you're making me almost want to just close my computer and go to the beach. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, go and live my purpose a little bit more paddleboarding. <laughs> one day one day it's, it's friday afternoon here we're going to be fine so um yeah 
your podcast is an equal chance to be unequal. Mm-hmm. That's um, a great place to find you. You've got a great website, which we're going to put in the links. Your book, I know, is on Audible yeah. uh, and it's on Amazon. You can read it on your Kindle. You can read it, yeah. read it, listen to it. I love listening to it. Uh, Michael's got a very, very uplifting tone and voice, even in the difficult parts of the book. So I will finish that this weekend, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Michael. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Alex. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening or watching. I'll be back next week with another episode of Coaches to the Moon. Much love and peace out. Coaches to the Moon will be back next week. Until then, reach us on Facebook at To The Moon Digital Marketing.